The problem yeah. with I'll tell you the problem with BJ Walkman. I'll tell you the problem. He would his average would be a lot better if he knew how to score easy runs. <laughs> he comes in at twenty for five, scores a hundred. Team team needs him to. I remember this what this one test match it explains his career amazing. It was against Pakistan, right? He came in at eighty five, right? The team was two hundred behind. The, he scored eighty five not out. Then in the next innings, William yeah. scored hundreds. He comes in at 405 any decoration got bold first ball. Yeah. <laughs> the field is spread out. There's nothing <laughs> I'm trying to get you out. This guy has the easiest 30, 40 runs. Just get not out. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, this is why your average is not 45 plus because he's good enough. <laughs> like, oh, that's so true. Easy runs, man. Oh, that's so true. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome back to the Night Silly Point podcast. Um, I'm here with Rishi and Dinesh, and we're going to be talking about the second India-Australia test match um, in Melbourne, and we'll also be covering New Zealand-Pakistan, um, that series. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoy. It'll be a shorter one today, so yeah, enjoy. Um, yeah, so starting it off with uh, the India-Australia match, um, pretty decent win, solid win for India. Um, looking at it overall, we could see even session by session, there was only one session across the two matches that India actually lost, and it was one where they were bowled out for 36, obviously. But all the other sessions, they seem to be winning them. Do you, do you think this is something that's going to continue, a trend? Um, yeah, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Um, first off, damn, Suraj, you're really understanding a, a decent win. I'm oh, already boy. ranking this as one of India's, probably one of India's best test perfor- away performances. Probably what... My favorite away test circuit of India since Lords 2014, not going to lie. This was a victory against all the odds. They lost Shami. They lost their best player, their captain. Uh, Vice captain stepped up after being a, after a 36 all out, being the person who ran out Kohli in the first test and then ducking the second inning as part of the collapse. He, step, he stepped up. A debutante in Mohamed Siraj stepped up and Shubman Gill. They lost Yadav midway in the test match. They lost the toss, everything against them, and it was an absolutely stunning win. And yeah, I think India's complete India on the back of the head should be thinking it could easily be 2 0 right now if Hanuman for just one session of bad cricket. But yeah, yeah I, that, that was definitely an understatement on my part. I mean, yeah. <laughs> everyone everyone stepped up to the plate this time, except yeah, for Pajara in my mind. But um, definitely, yeah, this is definitely one of India's best away wins in a long 100%. time. Steve, well, Steve Smith negated again eight runs in mm-hmm. in two innings, gone by Bumrah and Ashwin. I think I think this is and you have dented the confidence of a lot of Australian batsmen too. They, you've seen Australia's scoring race and man, it was pain watching Australia bad. I was falling asleep trying to watch, even though I was happy to see India bowling well, but they were barely going two and over. And I think Ricky Ponting said it himself. He said. Shubman Gill and Rahane played more pull shots in the fourth innings of the second test than the Australian bats have done this whole series. They have looked absolutely clueless at the crease. No, no conversion of strike, no rotation, just maidens, maidens, maidens. And the Indian bowlers are bowling absolutely to absolutely perfectly well to good plans to all their batsmen. So yeah. I think the, the incredible thing about this match was that at least half the Indian eleven could make a pretty bold claim to have swayed the momentum of the match at some point. I mean, Siraj put out, I, I believe it was the second best performer by a visiting debutante in Australia in the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. Um, took five wickets for 70-odd runs across the match. Was pretty damn disciplined for with his line and length. Consistently hitting good areas. Decent pace. Um, Gill looked a little bit, you know, hesitant at times. He was maybe playing a, a few too many things, but He's got the shots, and he impressed everyone in the second innings for sure. Um, Rane, goes without saying, played one of the most incredible knocks I've seen on uh, on Australian soil um, and just did not give them any openings whatsoever. Um, Ashwin continues to look absolutely undroppable this series. My God, he's bowling well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jadeja, fantastic all-around performance. Boomerah just quietly took a forfer in the first innings that we're not really talking about. I mean, everybody stepped up. It's yeah. really, really impressive. Spin, spin has proven to be like vital throughout this because Lyon took three wickets in the first inning and then two, I believe, in the second for Australia. Um, so that's, yeah, the spin in Australia hasn't proven 
in the past to be like something that's actually you take wickets with. A quick, um, quick, quick news break here. Different. I'm just going to announce to all our listeners. Taylor is going to a third consecutive hundred. Yeah. Just Jeez, out of okay. Out. We need to talk about this guy. Yeah, yeah. we'll talk about it at the end of, later in this podcast. But we'll that, but 103 upon 40 balls. What a player. But yeah, sir, sorry, continue. Yeah, no, I was just saying, um, Spin has actually like done really decently well in um, both with Lyon and Ashwin. So we we briefly skimmed over it in our in the previous podcast, but I just want to talk about it once more briefly about just the how lethal Spin actually is. Is that something we expected in Australian pitches? Is it do it do is the credit to be given to the groundskeeper? Um, why why has Spin proven? Like being being shown as such powerful force right now. Well, first off, the three spinners playing this series are the three best spinners in the world. That's obviously a big factor. Lion's been good. He's been good. He's not been outstanding. He's I mean, he's gotten four wickets in the series, and two of them, one is Bumrah, one is Yadav. So and he've actually not played hit Lion too badly so far in this series. Ashwin has been unbelievably really good this is for tour australia he's been constantly improving overseas and i know the nation i are always are always the biggest fans of ushwin we also both believe he should be the vice captain of the indian team as well so and being in one of india's biggest match winners ushwin just shows that he's not a he's not a liability overseas he's a real wicket taking threat and i think jadeja jadeja bowled pretty decent obviously jadeja's the most of the highlights of jadeja in the past year has really been about his batting which came to the fore again in the first innings but yeah he also quietly chipped away with three good wickets so i think jadeja's wickets more just comes from the pressure built by all the bowlers to really have no releases and both usher and jader bowling extremely well to their fields it's not it's not that it's definitely not some devilish tracks here it's not turning mad neither are bowling like real spitting cobras out here but it's just pure discipline and really honestly i think a couple people brought up in our group chat Probably a bit of a lack of footwork and uh, attacking positive play on Australians. Not really coming down the wicket or using the sweep shot to great effect. They're just really getting tied down by either Ashwin goes for that middle leg stump line with a leg stump field, or he focuses on really spinning it in outside off and getting one to spin and getting one to not spin. Yeah. Got to look at Australia's gameplay as well. Yeah, I think one of the really impressive things when I watched Ashwin bowl like an extended spell was every ball was just looking lethal for for different reasons. He was really pulling every single trick he had out of the bag, mixing up lines, lengths, paces, flighting some, darting some in. Um, but the one thing the Australians didn't do was try to put him off his length because he was hitting this consistently very difficult to play length, um, beating them in the air, beating them off the pitch. And when wickets are falling like that, you cannot afford to play defensively to someone on song like Ashwin is. And and I, I think the Australians could have done more to put him off his lines and lengths. Um, I do also think that in this match in particular, uh, I was super, super impressed by between Ashwin and Rahani's captaincy, um, the way he was bowling to a plan. And I think particularly in conditions that might not be favorable, that's super, super important. Um, and I was almost reminded of when the way he picked up Steve Smith and a couple other wickets in the match with the, Rishi, you said the middle and leg stump line with uh, short leg, leg slip almost reminded me of a completely different bowler being Neil Wagner uh, prizing out Smith with a leg gully uh, yeah. a couple yeah. months ago. Is, commentary, yeah. Yeah. Is, is this um, behind square on the leg side proving to be a little bit of a weakness for him? It's probably too early to say, but I was extremely impressed by the captaincy and the tactics behind both from the bowler and from the captain in picking up that really important wicket. Cause if there's one guy who could have taken the game away from us, uh, after taking a hundred and thirty odd lead in the first innings, it was Steve Smith. So I, I actually I had this combo with with my uncle in our last podcast. It's not we were talking about Pujara also having a, Pujara possibly having a slight leg side weakness too. But one thing you have to know is just because of the entire physics of the game, it's impossible to play the, a ball coming in at the hip from pace or spin down straight down to the ground. If you're, even if you're trying to flick it for four on the ground, it'll always be in the air for a short while. So it's a strategy that can be really used against any batsman. And honestly, the only way to like not get suckered into it is just keep leaving it down leg. But it's also a very tempting ball to hit. So it's a weakness that could be used on, has been used on many batsmen. I know Dom Sibley has struggled with it. Pujara has struggled. Steve Smith has a bit of a history. So yeah, I'd say it could be a weakness, but it's also just something that's it's very easy to bowl to and not very there's not too many scoring options other than 
flicking and just hoping you've missed the fielder. And in well, a test match, you don't want to take that risk. Especially because they we put saw, we saw we saw how a similar field set of having a leg gully um, actually got Steve Smith out from Boomer's ball because they were talking about how he had to work his way over to try and work it down to leg slip. Um, yeah. And that opened up that leg stump and the bail right there for Boomer to take that. Um, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, that was that was that was really crazy. crazy. That's yeah. that's I'm so used to see Smith just coming across. Obviously, this is a podcast, nobody could see me right now, but he just goes like this every time. And you think you got him, but it's just flipped for four. He does it against, yeah. against everyone. And it was shocking to see. It was shocking to see him both. So it definitely shows he's a bit low on confidence. He's, his hands have not been found yet. Clearly, <laughs> yeah, but, he has his ODI hands. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, he didn't need to keep that up because. If Steve Smith starts firing, then the series can completely change. You know, I'm I'm kind of salty because I I, I want to see Smith like it's it's fun seeing him get bold, but like it, I I want to see Smith do well. It's it was an, enjoyable seeing him in the Ashes, and that's the last time we've really seen him. And since then, he has oh, just been enough in the ODI. He he put on masterclass in the ODI that kept me. Satisfied. It's not the same, right? I mean, I mean, it's, I know it's not his format, but yeah, yeah. It's, I think. It's cool. It's 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 you know it's a law of averages. You know he has seven cent hit seven centuries and eight tests against India before. Maybe that average needs to dip a little bit. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the other thing that really really impressed me about this this match was the Indian first innings never looked like it was going to hit three hundred and twenty six um, out the gates because that the the first session of India's batting Pat Cummins looked absolutely unplayable. First session on day two, right? I think that was it, yeah. yeah. Um, my God, Pat Cummins looked absolutely unplayable. Uh, and the okay. thing I was super impressed by was the Indian top order playing and missing repeatedly and not getting flustered by it and just sticking to their game. Yeah, I think I, I had a little heart attack when Mitchell Starks first over because he looked like he got mind over out three times. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah I, I shouldn't focus too much on Cummins here because Stark looked absolutely deadly from ball one. Um and you never count Hazelwood out. Hazel Hazelwood was the metronome as usual. Yeah, um, but he actually has a Hazelwood has always she always has, he has a long history of struggling at the MCG. He does not have a great average there. He's like on forty seven, and yeah, India played Hazelwood pretty well. He only got one weekend that was Ashwin, I believe. So, what do you think the opening bowling pair should be for Australia? Because they had Stark and Hazelwood with the pink ball. Um, I, I, should yeah, it I, be Stark and Cummins? I stay with Stark and Stark is the best bowler with the new ball for sure, and I'd say Cummins for now. Hazelwood came first change when he cleaned up India too, so. That seems to be a working process, but honestly, all three of them could do could, could serve their new ball role as equally as the others. Yeah, I agree. It, yeah. It, it's hard to say any of them shouldn't take the new ball. I think Cummins and Hazelwood are both just incredibly accurate and are going to cause trouble no matter when they bowl. Um, so, yeah. for me, on current form, Cummins is just looking irresistible right now. I have no idea how he didn't pick up like two wickets in that opening burst. Um, but I, I was I was thoroughly impressed at, at how the Indian top order kept their heads. Yeah, and in, in spite of all that amazing bowling from Cummins, Gill on his debut squared a forty-five. Um, was kind of hoping for his fifty, as we all were, yeah. I'm sure. But um, yeah, he was he played very well. He at the beginning with the new against the new ball, he was like he looked like he was struggling. He didn't get flustered though, um, but carried the innings very well. Saw the new ball out. Um, yeah. Built a good partnership with Rahane, right? Yeah, so. Gil played pretty well in both innings for sure. Uh, jury's still out on him for sure because obviously he did give a few chances in his 45 and mm-hmm. technique's a little suspect, staying a bit leg side of the ball, but obviously he has some quality cut shots. His pose and cover drives are off the, out of the top drawer there. And yeah, it'd be it's a little bit of a headache to solve that India have at least one opener scoring because India's had opening problems overseas for like forever since Murli VJ has tapered yeah. off. Yeah, the, I think I I, sorry, sorry, you, you go ahead, you go ahead. I actually think about the turning point off the test match though was during India's bat innings after Vihari got out, it was a it was a very key moment in the game where India could have easily thought collapsed through. Obviously it doesn't take much to get into the Indian tail and get rid of them very quickly. So I thought Rishabh Pant's positive punching 29-30 runs that he got actually was a game-changing moment. It louder because Vihari and Rahane, they were resisting. They had a good partnership, but they were just batting. When Pant came out, the aggression to score, he really played Nathan Lyon very well, played some nice cover drives of both Cummins and Stark. And I felt it was 
pretty disappointing to see him throw away that start that he had. But I still think his like that 60 70 run partnership he had with Rahane, it not only did it get India's scoring run rate up, it freed up Rahane too. And when Jadeja, after Pan got and Jadeja came in, Rahane seemed to hit full flow. So I do think Pan's little that little 20 30, which is these knocks change games, especially in a test series with two mainly bowling sides. These type of knocks change, which is why the selection of Pont was so crucial and why it was such a big mistake to go with Saha in the first test match. Even though, of course, the jury is still out on Pont's way keeping because he did drop a crucial catch that could have changed the test match as well. But you don't, obviously, you can't get both both sides of the world right now. So yeah. I do, but I do think that was the changing point of the game. And I also think this is probably Rahane's best century in his test career since Lord's 2014. It was a, with I, I would have liked to see him. I would have liked to see him play a more consistent inning. Um, from my end, I I liked the quick boost that he brought, but I felt there was too much pressure on Jadeja to have to see all of those 159 balls and play him very different innings than he's normally used to playing um, at a quicker strike rate. He was at 35 this time around. Um, I, I feel like Punt can start off strong, but he should he should learn to taper off and slow down. Um, I, I I don't know. The the quick start can be helpful at times, but it's I feel like he should see out more more balls rather than just throwing away his innings that quickly. That's true. That's true for sure. But I did. I mean, I think the ball part pond got out. Shit was a four ball. I think that ball should have gone to the boundary, and he just mm-hmm. got it happened to get an edge on it. Um, but I think the thing is that is his game, and it's not like. He didn't play any shots that were out of the textbook or character. He played proper cover drives, cut shots. He respectfully watched the good ball. So, and obviously, when he played came to Australia last time, he never failed to score under 20. And honestly, for a batsman who's considered to be so hyper-aggressive and plays all the shots, that's honestly an impeccable amount of consistency because those are batsmen usually the ones who like have a lot of failures in between good scores. But the fact that he's not getting out early, too, just it just helps because you don't want JJ coming in in the 80th over facing a new ball from Cummins, right? You you want you want him to have a little bit of protection of at least one wicket before you get into the bowlers because you can't expect much from our from our bowlers. Yeah, um, yeah. When it comes to punt in particular, there's a couple different things um, from there that I want to go back to. But punt in particular, I agree with you. Just watching the match live, you could you could sense this was the moment when India figured we can bat on the surface, we can capitalize here. Um, yeah. it, it really tangibly felt that way. Um, and... It's an innings you appreciate more watching live than watching highlights. Absolutely, 100%. And I think the crucial thing is you can be a successful wicketkeeper batsman with an attacking mindset in test cricket. Plenty have done it before. Um, I think, you know... He he will he will learn over time. He'll get used to playing these kind of world class attacks over time. Um, but I don't think he should mess with the formula that's worked for him, right? And I I, I really think that his um, when he initially got dropped from T Twenty contention, uh, I remember quite clearly Shastri going on the record and saying um, he needs to learn to play the situation and can't go out slogging every single time. It's like, well, this, you know, he thrives as an attacking batsman. And if you're not going to choose him for that role, you shouldn't choose him at all, is, is the way I look at it, right? If, if you're not going to put someone in a role that plays to their natural strengths, you're selecting the wrong guy. And this is not me saying don't select punt. It's me saying you have chosen to invest in the guy. He's, he's played match-winning knocks in Australia and England in like the first 20 tests of his career, which in itself is pretty incredible. Let the guy play within himself, within his own comfort zone. He can swing momentum like this. Even in 40 balls, he did swing the momentum. Yeah. And I, I think you got to back the guy to play his game. And after a while, if it doesn't work out, so be it, you know? But don't tell him to be someone he's not. I don't think that helps him or the team. Yeah, and it's not like he's coming to a test match and taking an off snow ball, swinging it to the leg side. It's proper cricketing shots that he plays. Yeah. Even in his... In his two centuries, he only started slogging once he was past 100 in India. We're looking for a declaration, but otherwise, it's it's all proper cricket. If you watch the highlights, it's not what he it's not like what he does in IPL when he's in full flow and he's swinging and scooping. Like he's not doing that here. Like there's nothing big difference in what the shots he plays compared to any other Test batsman. I think even to, to contrast him with the other aggressor from the Indian team um, being Gill in this match, and I'm not saying this in the sense that Gill played badly. He played beautifully. 
the reason Gill appeared to concede, con concede some chances, I think, was the vibe he gave off to me was, you know, new guy on the scene, naturally a very aggressive player. He wanted to feel bad on ball, you know, and get started. And, and there isn't anything wrong with that. And I think given that that was probably his mindset, he played beautifully. There was, there was an on drive. I think he played when he was batting on like 10 or 12 or something off Cummins shot of the match. He's, he's got the shots. He's got the temperament. I think he just went too much. Ponte don't think played that way. Like he played with the experience of someone who's got a couple test matches behind him. Um, but he kept the tempo up. He put the pressure back on. And I think that is something that a scorecard is not going to tell you. Yeah. So I think, I think, you know, I, I sincerely hope that the team is now thinking we want to back this guy to play his natural game. Because if he does, we've seen how he can swing matches from, you know, positions where it doesn't look good. Yep. I agree. I agree completely. I do still think, I do still think Saz is the first choice keeper for when India goes back home because yeah. Ponce keeping the spin is still very suspect. And mm -hmm. on it, I think the runs he contributed is not going to offset the wicket taking chances that he might let go from, or at Ashwin and Jadeja who are absolutely superb in their home conditions as well. But I think now with a fickle sport of cricket, obviously a week ago, it was like, what's wrong with the Indian team? What's wrong with the Indian team? Who should we drop? Who should we select? Now the tides have turned. Now it's Australia. They have five, six selection problems now to deal with. So I want to move on to the Australian team. What do you, what changes do you think the Australian team should go with? Warner, just an update on Warner. He is not 100% fit, but Australia have said, we don't really care right now. We need Warner in the team. Mm -hmm. he'll, he'll probably come in for Burns. There was an article I was reading on Cricket Info that said Wade is in still. So they'll probably keep him at opening, and then Burns is going to get the boot. Um, I have to say this. I was extremely skeptical of the decision to pick Matthew Wade as an opener. He's he's not a red ball opener, yeah. but he played pretty damn well. I actually have been very impressed by Matthew Wade. I think he's, Wade and Green have been the two main best Australian batsmen. Labuschagne might have the most runs, but he's been he's been very uh, his innings have been very shaky. He's been very streaky, lucky innings. Wade and Green have looked way better than Labuschagne. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Green's second innings effort in particular was super impressive to me. But Matthew Wade, I am. I am pleasantly surprised by how well he's adapted to opening. And obviously it's been one game, so who knows? But the guy has really done whatever is expected of him by yeah. Australian management. You know, whenever he's in and out of the side, he has really filled whatever vacancy they need at any given moment. And I think that, that has a lot to do with carried form because they, they, they essentially picked him for opening in the T20 matches and ODIs, right? And he was playing very well there. So Yeah, yeah. Um, that is very just good carried form right now, so. Yeah. yeah, I don't think uh, I do. Dish, uh, I agree with your team selection. Uh, Wade stays in, but I don't think Wade's going to be opening next match. I think I don't think Australia. I think Will Pukowski is fit, and coming off the form of two double centuries, they're going to pick him. And I think Australia. Have, I think it's pretty clear based on both what the Australian commentators, selectors saying. They're pretty frustrated with Travis Head, who had who has not played, doesn't have a bad Test career. He is averaging a little bit cl a little close to 40. He has 200s already, but I think the problem is the, his dismissals have been very frustrating to watch. Even last summer, yeah. constantly poking outside of Austin, flashing at balls. The shot he played a moment, Siraj, in the second innings was honestly a pretty terrible cricketing shot to play in that situation. 100 for five, and your team's looking to just overcome a deficit, just flashing widely, wildly at slip, and... I think Greg Ian Chappell said said this about Travis said this guy has too many weaknesses to probably last in Test cricket. You feel like Ashwin can get him out very easily, like he did it in the first innings, and then yeah, mm -hmm. seems to be having a problem with the bouncers that Boomer got him ducking and waiting a couple times, and then he also has a huge problem flashing outside off. So I think it's possible Travis Head might get the boot, and Wade will come in at five, Green will stick at six. Yeah, Bukowski certainly has the numbers um, to you know, warrant that kind of faith in him. And because he wasn't fit, I might even think about giving someone like Marcus Harris a go. Um, because, you know, I think I, I do admire um, Wade's willingness to fill whatever role he needs to. But, you know, if he's in form, put the guy in the in the, the spot he's most comfortable. I think that much is yeah. owed. Um, yeah, I think... Yeah. Bukowski certainly has done enough to warrant a debut here. And I'm really excited to see him in action. One of the yeah. super I think young prospect. 
I think one thing Picasso will have to expect is he's going to get a lot of short balls and a lot of bouncers here. He's been he's had concussion problems before he's and bounced from, so wouldn't be shocked to see Boomer open up with a few at a few right at the helmet. Um, but yeah, I think who else is he going to be getting these bouncers from? Because now that Amish is effectively out, we know Boomer starts obviously, but they can't afford to overwork him um, because he's the last frontline pacer standing. Uh, Siraj performed wonderfully on debut and obviously deserves another match. But uh, who do you who do you pick here as the third pacer? Yeah, uh, it's between Saini and Natarajan. But consider, considering Saini was in the fight with Siraj for Shami's spot, it's probably going to be Saini, which which is why which is why again I can't say India are favorites for the third test because now we have two pace bowlers who are on who are playing their first test series and obviously Siraj did extremely well. But now we don't know how Sani is going to do. So I think again, it's very unfortunate for India. They have so much injury and not and players who are not available for this series. It's very unfortunate for them. But if Sani puts in a similar performance to what Siraj did, I think India will be fine to will be very happy because obviously bowling has not been a problem for them in this series at all. Sure. And and I know Sani initially came to prominence. Um... I remember last year's IPL, he was he was clocking close to 150, and that's where people really started taking notice of him. But it is worth pointing out that domestically, he's regarded as a better uh, red ball bowler than a white ball bowler, isn't he? Yeah, he has a decent first class record, around a 28 average for Delhi, I believe. Um, but yeah, his strengths are. I think one thing that when he was getting battered in the white ball series, one of his problems was that he was bowling like a red ball bowler. He yeah. was just pulling seam up, one trying to bowl as quick as he can yeah. on good length. And so even though that didn't work then, if you could bowl the similar to that and there'll be a bit more movement with the red ball, and Australian bats obviously aren't gonna be coming at him like they would be in, in a white ball, he he'll he he should do well. But I think uh one thing for sure is he also will elongate India's batting lineup because he's also a decent batsman. We've, he has an average of ninety in ODI cricket right now. Obviously we <laughs> But like looking at like the man can hold a bat, so at least that provides some confidence for India that they won't get wiped out every time with their tail. So I think one big thing Australia needs to if Australia really wants to get back in the series, they have to make a real statement with the bat. The bowlers are doing hundred percent the best they can do, but they need a day break, uh, but which they're not getting. I think one thing uh, Ricky that Ricky Pawnee pointed out is Australia needs to bat more positively. Like they cannot just stroll for two and over. They're bad. Both innings, they actually bat. They've been batting a long time. They batted 100 overs in the second innings, but they still barely got to 200. And I think they need to put in a bit more strike rotation against both the Pacers and against the Spinners. They just can't let all all the Indian bowlers just tie them down. And obviously, this is why they're so desperate to get back their main strike batsman, David Warner, who can, who is, especially in Australian conditions, we we know what he can do in the, in just two sessions. We know he can get 100 before lunch. So how crucial do you think Warner's comeback for Australia is? And but and do you think India have a good chance of restricting Warner just like how they've restricted Smith? Well, they got three right-arm seamers, so... Ah, okay. They don't have Stuart Broad. Um, <laughs> Warner will no, see yeah, Broad in Australia. Warner, Warner I, I don't like to call him a home track bully, but his home record is clearly just super, super impressive. I think it was about a... About a year ago, the triple he scored against Pakistan at home, um, the 335. Um, incredible innings. Um, so he, we, we know what he's capable of at home. And I think India need to come out with a plan against him. Obviously, this isn't um, back in England and conditions are different. The ball is going to do different things. Um, but I don't know if, you know, they're going to be trying to pick up some lessons from that right arm around the wicket, nip it back away against Warner. Um, feels like a starting point, but different conditions. Yes, I mean, Wade's a lefty too. Wade's been doing fairly well. Yeah. So scoring 30 plus, right? I think so. that's where India, I think if Warner scores, in, I think that's where India is going to really start missing Ishan Sharma because if there's anyone who can do what Stuart brought to Warner, it's definitely Ishan Sharma. That's why Ishan Sharma yeah. does so successfully. He's done that against Bassin like Alistair Cook before around the wicket and making it very indecisive on the off stump with the ball moving, coming in and with the angle or moving away with the swing. But yeah, but obviously. And- Siraj has the capability of doing that because he's, he's shown even in this second one that he's able to move the ball both 
directions. Yeah. So away from the batsman, especially, and it'll he'll be fairly useful in the opening pair. I think he will open with Bumrah. Yeah. Which will be which will be interesting to see because I never really understood why Yadav was opening. He's more of that reverse swing bowler. Yeah. Um, so, but I I think it was just more for the lack of experience from Siraj, mm-hmm. just wanting to give him some buffer room. But he's played that one Test match, gotten his confidence up. I think he'll be he'll be good to go now. And. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But Suraj built a lot of overs against lefties. I don't think he ever went around the wicket. So that'll be interesting to see if he employs that tactic yeah. against Warner. Ishant has mastered that tactic from bowling around the wicket. But the same thing that Braun did to Warner. So yeah. well, Boomer will probably go, go around the wicket. He he usually goes around the wicket to lefties. And I definitely could see Boomer dominating David Warner. But I could also see David Warner scoring a lot of runs in the next two test matches. But obviously, Which will be scary. Yeah, yeah He's obviously been out of action for a while. Um, last question for India Australia. How? What selection are you? So I think we we're all pretty clear on Australia's team for next Test match. By the way, I I had a la- I had to I laughed so hard. I saw an article saying James Patterson is out of the for the Test series with some injury. I was like, wow, wow, unbelievable. <laughs> Somebody commented, yeah, he's been unplayable this whole whole series. Big loss. <laughs> so um. What do you guys think? Uh, Rohit obviously comes back, uh, so we all think. Well, I think we all agree Saini will come in for. Uh, mm-hmm. Sir, uh, Saini will come in for Yadav. So, how is Rohit Sharma coming back into the team, and who's out for India? Um, Rohit Sharma has like already the, been appointed yeah. vice captain, which I am mm-hmm. going to come back to in a second. But it seems pretty certain he's going to walk into the eleven, and it seems pretty certain it will be at the expense of of Manka Um Maybe Vihari misses out. Um, but I think my uncle's struggles have been more more front and center lately. Um, I think Vihari at least has been able to get set, even if he doesn't convert his starts. But he's able to play himself in. Um, it seems more likely to me that my uncle misses out. And um, I guess we can talk about the specifics of opinions on selection once uh, once I hear from you guys what you think. Yeah, I, um, I think there's no point debating of whether Roy should be in back in the team. With all the effort India have gone to get him back into the team, they're not going to not pick him. So I don't even, even though I don't know if he should just come slot back into the team because he hasn't even really had a practice match. But there's no point even debating that because he's definitely playing. There's no ways India would go through all this hassle and not pick him. Uh, but yeah, um, I actually think Roy should replace Vahari, and I think he should bat at five. Um. I don't think uh, I think Mayank is quality. He still has a fifty plus average, and yes, I do think he is struggling in this series. But I think he's just a couple shots away, not even a couple innings. I think he's just a couple shots away from getting his full confidence back. And he has a good record in Australia. He has scored before. Obviously, last time he was the he was to me the changing point of that series as well. So I would be giving him another opportunity because two bad Test matches should not really get you booted from the team, especially when he's a he's the future of the team. So I'm. Would it make sense to have Rohit replace Vihari but still open and then push Gil to the five spot? Uh, um, I mean, Rohit's not a proven opener overseas. He hasn't even played an overseas test match away. So, And Gil has worked so far, so I think I would just put him at – and Rohit has scored against Australia in the middle order. He hit, hit a couple 50s in 2014 and in 2018, batting at five, batting at six. And mm-hmm. so I think he'll do fine at five. So I just, I'd just be just setting him at five. So my my issue is well first of all I, I agree Mike Agarwal is you don't want to drop him on the back of two test matches I think it's egregiously unfair to someone who in my opinion is one of the best young prospects in Indian cricket I mean, not young in the same way Gill is but the guy's pretty early into his career and obviously incredibly talented um, yeah he's still at, he, he averages like forty eight over 13 tests despite the fact that he's going through a pretty rough patch right now in Australia's record is he averages like 32 over four tests including the current lean patch so he's got a good record um we've struggled to really nail down that opening spot and he's he gave us consistency there for a solid year probably a little more than a year and came off a pretty good IPL like I think this is an isolated bad patch and I think he's going to work through it so I, I don't think it's fair to him to drop him but I unfortunately think that is going to happen um because India is telegraphing a pretty clear message that Rohit is the incumbent opener. And Rohit's record, like, you, you can't sneeze at what he has now. Like, over 32 matches, he's averaging 47. Um, 
but he did have that one like monster home series where he made like two tons and a double or something. Uh, and, and if you look at his overseas numbers, he's down to 26 over 18 tests. Um, but more point, he just hasn't opened overseas. He has not faced a fresh Mitch Stark and Pat Cummins with the red ball. Um, and I... So, Dinesh, did I just change your mind? Oh, no. no so, I so I, I think they're going to drop Mayank. I don't want them to. Okay, if they, drop, you. If they drop Mayank, I can understand it. But all I say, all I believe though, is when India play England, Mike and Roy should be opening no matter what happens in the rest of the series. Because I don't think they've done any. They should at least be opening at home. They'd be too dominant in that series, anyways. And I think, I think Mike. The one problem is I think he played so well, and I think he expanded his game in the IPL, which a lot, and he with the high backlift, which was higher than even before. Mm-hmm. And I think he hasn't made the full adjustment back. It's probably the first time he's been. He's had to play all three formats in such a quick space of time. He, he obviously opened in the ODIs because of Roy Sharma's injury. And I think in test matches, he just hasn't um he hasn't made that full adjustment back into test mode, which he obviously he we know he, he can play in test cricket. He's been one of the best first class players for India in for Kanonica for such a long time. He's such a dominant player for India, both away and at home. And I just think the backlift movement, he's a bit late on the ball, I, I believe. And yep. and I just think if he can just get in line and just play a little later than he is now, I think he'll do completely fine. Because we know he can score in Australia. And we know he's last time he scored at Sydney. So, and I think one thing is Sydney is also not the quickest of pitches in Australia. In fact, this will be a match I think Lion, Australia, and JJ will enjoy the most here. And obviously, India scored 600 last time they came here. So, I do think mine, I think, do think if mine just makes a couple of technical changes and just a just watches the ball a bit more closely. I do think he's bound for a big score in this match. I think that's true. But again, like you guys have said, in, India's probably going to drop him because even in the innings that he's played, he's looked very shaky and he's always fishing. Like the balls that he's getting out on, they aren't like, they aren't amazing balls bowled by the bowled by the Australian attack. They're more, he's just fishing outside off stump and just gets nicked and then Payne catches it. So that's not... That was well, one. I think the, the exception the exception being uh, his dismissal yeah. in the first innings of the second oh, test yeah, was yeah. just beauty. pure venom from Stark. Even the first innings, first the first day of the series, he got a beauty from Cummins, that nip backer. I mean, yes, again, the back was a bit high and was a bit late on that. That was an mm-hmm. absolute ripper for ball. But he just hasn't looked solid as much. Yeah, it's absolutely. Not, it, um, he may be getting good balls, but you can always say that. Like that's what people have been saying for Joe Root for the past two years that he's just been getting out on amazing balls, and that's his excuse excuse right now for why he's not in form. But I, I think that should probably be the only change that they need to make right now. You can't, you can't really like blame the Indian like BCCI for making that change. Um, it's if it works, it, it works. If it doesn't, and Rohit can just move back down um, the order. I think I, I still think they'll have him open, like you guys said. Uh, may not be the best of options, but Agarwal just hasn't proven himself yet. And he, even if it's only two two matches in this series, he hasn't really played any important role. I so, my just huge we'll problem is India just keeps doing this dumping of openers. Yep. It's like revolving recycle of openers, cycle of openers, and it always seems like the Australia tour is where it just commences. Like, 2014, we had K.O. Rahul make his debut. 2018, K.O. Rahul's test career basically gets ended, and he gets replaced by Mayank. Now, two years later, Mayank is going to have his test career just, uh, not. I wouldn't say ended, but it's going to be a bit halted for a while now, because he's just not scoring. I think that a lot, obviously a lot of credit has to be given, I guess, the Australian bowling attack, because K.O. Rahul came into that Australia series full of form. Mayank came into the series at the top of his game, and it's just a revolving cycle. I just don't think India want, wants to get into. So that's why I just want, I think I would give Mayank another chance. But Hari, I mean, I, I, I mean, think it is, it is the toughest bat, batting position. Yeah. Right? Opening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I just think that, yeah, I, I really think that, um, yeah, India is not clear right now on who their incumbent openers actually are. And um, it, it feels like dropping Mayank here sends the message that, they're selecting based on short-term results and nothing else. And obviously you want to select for results. That's important. But um, 
when Kale Rahul was dropped, for example, there was there was there were there were holes in his technique that were exposed against the moving red ball, and it made sense, yeah. I think, to say that oh, yeah. you know you've been yeah, so well to the white I ball, wanted, but yeah, holes in your sure. technique. That, that, so that made sense to me. And and I don't know whether he's patched those holes or not. I haven't followed his first class career. But to me right now, if I look at my role playing, um, I see some adjustments he's made that I think, like you said, are it's more the consequence of how he's had to jump between formats lately. But he hasn't done a whole lot wrong other than that. And you're looking at a relatively small technical adjustment for a player who has shown that he's capable of performing in a variety of conditions. And I think it needs to be pretty clear, are you the incumbent opener or not? And select accordingly. And if it turns out like there's some gaping hole in his technique or you know his confidence is off or he's going fishing too often, you, you select for that. I don't think you can select for the results of two test matches. And when I watch him bat, I don't see him doing a whole lot wrong other than the backlift thing you pointed out. So for me, it feels like you, I, I would persist with him, but that's just my feeling. The World Test Championship is really heating up because we have the India Australia series, but we also have a very enter- entertaining series in Pakistan, New Zealand. New Zealand obviously dominated West Indies in the start of their home summer, and then they had a very, very well fought victory in the first test against Pakistan, where with only five, with or only like 20 minutes left in the day, Mitchell Sander picked up a late one handed cotton bolt to win them and keep them on track for a World Test Championship final spot. At the moment, New Zealand is playing Pakistan 2 live in a match. Kane Williamson has brought up his third consecutive hundred at home. So, number and yeah, Kane Williamson and number one test team as of about a week ago. Yeah, the New Zealand cricket seems to be on top oh, yeah. right now. Obviously, they haven't had the strongest of oppositions, but they've really they've been losing tosses and just been dominating the sides that have come. Yeah, through. Pakistan almost pulled out a draw though. Yeah, in the so first yeah, test obviously Pakistan have a lot of positive twos. The bowling of Shaheen Afridi, the bat, the batting of Mohammad Rizwan. Azhar Ali, Azhar Ali's 90 yesterday. Fawad Alam scored an amazing fourth inning century that even, even, that was, nice that was so cathartic to see. He He's had that, you know, he, he's deserved that for so long. Yeah, he has. He really, super, had, super stoked for him. I, I was really happy for Fawad Alam. I, I thought, I looked, when he made his comeback in the England, I guess the England series, I looked at his stats. I was like, only Pakistan would not pick a player like this. They've backed Asad Shafiq, who's just been a mediocre average player for years. And just this guy has been that grinding, grinding in first class cricket, being the most dominant player. And then he, caught- he averages like 56 with 20,000 runs or something. Yeah. One of the best, Absurd. probably one of their best players of all time domestically. And then he comes in, everyone just wants to go on, go in on a stance. And he makes a couple failures. And then immediately the calls are again to be dropped. And then le- thankfully, Thankfully, the leadership has stuck with him, and he played one of the best fourth innings hundreds you'll ever see. Even giving a, there was even a chance when they kept hitting boundaries that they might even go for the win. But the New Zealand Almost chance back, win, yeah, yeah. But the New Zealand Neil Wagner, unbelievable. Kyle Jameson, unbelievable as well. God, I, I need to. I mean, I've I've talked about you guys know I've talked about this pretty much nonstop since that match ended. Wagner finished the game with two broken toes. Yeah, and bowled like forty something overs and took monster, took a solid handful of wickets. Like the man has the biggest heart of any cricketer I've ever seen. I am so so grateful that I get to see him play because he loves what he does so much. Um, yeah, and and like you know his his style is not glamorous. He's not he's not the Trent Bolt, right? But damn it, he hasn't delivered for New Zealand every single time they needed it. And bowling bowling like he does with two broken toes is just absolutely incredible i am i'm in awe of the effort it took to do that do you guys remember that series where brendan mccollum scored 300 against india right yeah yeah and him and bj well had a partnership so remember the first test india made a great comeback after they were like they were close to following on but and but in the fourth innings they were chasing 420 and uh the india looked strong they were 200 for two i believe that one hit 100 coley was on 70 and then on an absolute flat pitch some unknown bowler just came in and got four wickets bounced out Coley and that one and that was the first time I ever saw Neil Wagner play and ever since then he's just been doing this consistently every series for New Zealand home away we saw what he did in Australia against Smith and Warner last series he's done gone so many fifers on, on flat flat wickets but yeah he's an unbelievable hearted bowler he just runs in all day he's out of the test series now which is very unfortunate but yeah that's just the yeah. effort that he had to do because he knew they 
if New Zealand drew that match, they're probably out of reckoning for the World Test Championship. They know they have to win everything they, that they can that they have because yeah. they only play such small Test series. So, yeah. no, he, he, he's the first person since that I that has really reminded me of, of Dale Stain, mostly for for like the Wicked celebrations. Yeah, he's and like following until he's right in the face. That's so iconic. Very clean celebration. Never send offs or anything. It's just a. Uh, just passion. I love cricket. It's just stuff. raw passion. Yeah. yeah. I can go I've in never about seen anyone who visibly loves the sport as much as he does. I can go in about Neil Wagner. He was my second pace bowling option in the World 11 after Cummins. So that's how highly I rate him as a bowler. But yeah, the New Zealand pace tag, they've seemed to be the, the core of the, of the home summer's success so far. All four of them have been impeccable. But honestly, why we're talking about Wagner, but the standout has been Kyle Jameson. Oh my. He is averaging 13 at the moment with the ball, eight against left-handers. Got a five for yesterday with some absolute brute, brute bowling. Aver- bat- batting average of 55-2. Are we seeing a future star in at the moment? What do you guys think about Kyle Jameson? Kyle Jameson is... <laughs> I'm like, he just might be. You should be hooping for the Warriors. I don't know. I, you know, at this point, if, if they drafted him in, he just might pick up rookie of the season. I don't know. <laughs> Like everything's coming up heads for him, um, and I am I am so so impressed by um, j- just his ability to pick up wickets when it matters. That's that almost like Stokes like knack for um, you need your talisman to do something right. And and five tests into his career, Kane Williamson says to turn to Jameson when you need something to happen, and it's been working. Um, I I am. Yeah. It, it really remains to be seen how he holds up overseas. He hasn't really been tested overseas. Uh, and obviously like home conditions are going to suit him because he can, he can pitch it up there and, and get seam movement, get swing and get bounce from six foot eight. I think the bounce will probably help him regardless in, in other, um, in other venues. I think you take someone who's clocking consistently upper one thirties and getting the kind of bounce that he's able to extract um, he can still do that on a pitch that is not uh, not conducive um, just because it wrong foots the player so much when you go from facing you know Wagner who's a relatively short guy um, Bolt and Savi who are you know six one six two to facing Jameson who's just able to get it you know rearing above your waist off a pretty full length um, you have four very very different fast bowlers there yeah these are playing we don't really need spin right now at home because they have four fast boys that are completely different. It's not like, it's not like even the Indian tack, the bowling is, it's all mainly right arm seamers, but this is like two left arm seamers that are nothing alike and two right arm seamers that are nothing alike. Yep. Um, no, he, he, he's been thoroughly impressive and I do want to see him properly tested overseas. Um, but he, he adds a dimension to a, to an attack that was already so multifaceted that it's it's hard to play them, right? Just having Wagner automatically made them more of a handful because you've got someone to cover when you're not in swinging conditions. Uh, and Jameson's able to do the same thing. I'm thoroughly, thoroughly impressed by what we've seen of him so far. So, yeah. Something where uh, New Zealand lacks in the most spin, right? With Mitch Santner, he's, he's doing fairly well, but nothing special. Um, yeah, what are, what are you guys' thoughts on just the future of spin in New Zealand? Um, is that something that they're going to need to look to, like, look to make changes in? I mean, in? pace attack will always attack? be enough in very conditions. In New Zealand, they'll always win them test matches. The, they'll, they'll be good. They bowl well in Australia. They bowl well in England. But I, you need a world-class spinner to be a, a good test. The reason why I'll still put India and Australia as the, number, the top two bowling sides in New Zealand at third is because they have the top, they have the top spinners in the world. New Zealand spinner, Mitchell Sander to me is an extremely good white ball bowler. Probably the best figure yeah. spinner in white ball cricket at the moment. But he is, mm-hmm. he has an average of 50 plus right now with the ball. He's too, he's not penetrative at all, but his job is to hold up an end, which is fine in New Zealand. I do think if New Zealand want to progress and become even a better test side, which obviously they're at a great test side right now, they need to create pitches where at least, at least on day four, day five in New Zealand, they take spin. Because playing four pacers and then, and then playing an all rounder in Dick Random or Colin Mit- or Daryl Mitchell is not going to be is not going to win you outside of New Zealand. They need to at least be able to pick a spinner. And how could a spinner develop if he's just going to be a twelfth man all the time, right? 
obviously the museum yeah, it's been they have talent in the spin department because obviously they've won a home they've won a series in the uae and that was based off impressive bowling by Ajaz patel and will somerville who are both very good spinners and i think both of those spinners have a, a long future for new zealand overseas but i do think they need to be able to play their own home matches as well. They, there's no point of them just playing 12th men and only being thrusted in when they have to just be when they have to go from being 12th men to being the main bowler in the team because it's spinning wickets. So I need I just tell Will Somerville to me are the future for their spin department, but they also need to be getting games. Yeah, I think I think right now there's there's no real reason for New Zealand to change what they're doing at home. They have been just insanely dominant at home. I've I've at this point gotten more surprised when they fail to win by an innings than when they do. Yeah. Because their 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 formula for the last two years has been bat first, score like four hundred and fifty plus and bowl your opponents out twice and you know go home for tea on day three. It works. It does <laughs> and, work. um but 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 I yeah, I mean if they are if they're gonna put up more of a challenge overseas, I really do think um I don't think Mitch Santner is is the guy. Santner is is to me um, until probably about a year ago. I really underrated Santner in white ball cricket, but um, he is full of just subtle variations of of trajectory and um, and pace that make him a real handful to try and score off. And I think that's why he's such a great white ball bowler. Is it's just so hard to get the guy away, yeah, um, and to get in his head because he's a very clever bowler. Um, but he does, yeah. He doesn't threaten your off stump and your edge in the same way that that um, uh, the leading red ball spinners do right now. So I think I think if if I had to pick one guy for them who, who I think it makes sense to back right now, it's still probably a Josh Patel. The guys put up really good performances, but at home, it, it yeah. I mean, why mess with it if it ain't broke? Well, the thing is that in India, India's for the last three, four years, a couple of years, they've they've known they're dominant at home. They've beat, beat in England. They've beat in Australia. They've beat them by large margins with just by Australian Jadeja and the batsmen doing everything. But they realized if they want to win overseas, the good starting place is to make their home matches a bit tougher. So they have put up seeming wickets. And we've seen the results. Last some, last Indian's home season, Yadav and Ishan Sharma, Mohamed Sharma were the leading wicket takers, not Ashwin Jadeja. And that's because they put wickets that had a bit more with it, a bit more pace, a bit more seam movement. And... They told their bats, and you have to deal with it. And this is how we, we're not going to win overseas unless we can play these matches, right? So uh, it's just a good start. I think New Zealand will still win at home, but there's nothing wrong with having a pitches where that taking a little more spin. Like, there's like, there's no place outside of New Zealand right now where you need five pace bowlers. Even in England, even in England, the ball spins enough. You see, we've seen Nathan Lyon, we've seen Ashwin, they've all had success in England, but. So I think it's really important that at least you got to start somewhere and home is the easiest place. Obviously, it's very hard for New Zealand because they don't even get to play too many series outside. Mm-hmm. And their record in Asia is pretty good. They tied a series in Sri Lanka. They beat U- Pakistan and UAE. But if they want to become even more dominant and at least compete with India and India, they need to have a well-balanced spin attack. And best way to start that is at least give them the games at home. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think... Um... Yeah, if if you if you want to start being deliberate about breeding spinners, you do need to make conditions more hospitable at home. It's absolutely true because right now they have they have kind of the same problem that South Africa does, and it's just that the domestic spinner stocks are looking a little depleted. And England has this problem as well, I think. Yeah, because um, England is just less noticeable because they have plenty of good white ball spinners. But yeah, um, again, you put this down more to guys who are difficult to get away. Abdul Rashid is very very difficult to get away. Uh, except in, in like small boundary conditions. But uh, yeah, if one thing to look at the four Cena countries, right? South Africa, England, New Zealand, Australia. South Africa, England, New Zealand have a lot of problems of picking up having spinners because their spin stocks are depleted. But that's maybe because in domestic cricket, cricket, there's just green wickets, batting wickets where you don't really need a spinner. But if you look at Australia, they do have a they do have a battery of spinners coming through because their wickets do provides some support spinners, at least on day four, day five. Behind Nathan Lyon, we have Adam Zampa, Ashton Agar, Mitchell Swenson. Mitchell Swenson is a great red ball first first class spinner. There's other mm-hmm. prospects like Lloyd Pope and also they need to look at what Australia is doing. I can't obviously can't compare with India because India will always have spinners coming through from their domestic system. But Australia is a place where spinner spinners have struggled throughout. But Australia itself has always had a long history of producing good spinners. 
I think Australia has the benefit of a lot of their kids grow up wanting to be Shane Warne. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, like if you, if you see David Warner try to bowl in a test match, like his action is actually very similar to, to Warren's. Like a lot of, Do they all, um, all of them have lo- Steve Smith. Too. Yeah. A, lo- a, a lot of part-timers who come through the Australian system and especially in the last 10 or 15 years, you can tell they grew up wanting to be Shane Warren. So yeah. I think Australia, like Warren's legacy has been that Australia is going to have pretty decent spin stocks for a bit. Yeah. And then the kids um, now want to bowl like Nathan Lyon. So it's never going to yeah. go away. So. Yeah. It really takes one iconic player to, to, to start that. I don't think New Zealand's ever really had that. I mean, New yeah. Zealand's icons have been, you know, now it's Bolton Williamson. You go back a little bit. It's Richard Hadley, you know, Fleming, Crow. They really had it for spin is Vittori. Yep. But yeah, but yeah, I uh, but yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see how New, if New Zealand do, can stand a chance in the world if they can qualify for World Test Championship. They look dominant to win the second test too. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I don't know if I could fully say that. I know they're the number one side. I don't know if I could fully say that they are the number one side. Truly, I still think India and Australia have an edge over them. I definitely put putting them in top three. Yeah, so I still don't think think New Zealand is a. I know they reached the number one in the rankings. But I still think I'd be putting them after Australia and India. But uh, one thing New Zealand have advantage has over Australia and India is they probably have the most settled batting lineup in world cricket. They don't really seem to ever have selection issues in their top mm-hmm. seven. While Australia and India are constantly, they have opener problems and a couple middle order spots always open. It's because there are so many options for India and Australia. Yeah, but but like if you look at New Zealand's batting lineup, the entire top six averages 40 plus right now. Yeah, I, I think you, you asked me six weeks ago, or not six weeks, six months ago. Uh, their second opener was was really the tough spot for them because yeah. Gia Travel is going through a pretty tough t- tough patch. Tom Bill's emergence has really, really helped there. I mean, Tom Latham has consistently been one of the best openers in Test cricket in the last two years. Um, super underrated as a batsman, I think. And the yeah. fact that he was, you know, keeping for a while was um, an extra dimension there. Um, yeah, I mean, Williamson, Taylor, Nichols is really, really hard to argue with and even harder to bowl at. Yeah. And then Watling too is one of the best keeper batsmen. But yeah, that's why. So that's why I think New Zealand most settled batting lineup. I I give India Australia the edge and having the best all round bowling attack because they have the spin department that the New Zealand has. But definitely, I think we all could agree these are the top three Test nations probably, and they're probably going to be the ones competing for that two spots in the World Test Championship. Most likely, yeah. I think England's a long way off in in the sense that they're struggling with the spin as well. But just and yeah. their batting lineups completely messed up. We we've, we've had a conversation about this. Yeah, but, I mean England's a good test side. They're definitely on the come up. They had a good home summer, but they have mm-hmm. eight test matches to play in Asia, and they have no clue what their spinners are. So I can't see them having any shot at the World Test Championship. Yep. No. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to talk about? Besides- um, briefly, South Africa, um, Sri Lanka. I was just watching it because oh I kind of got bored. But um, Norkia has been playing really well. He had a pretty nice IPL with DC. But, um, yeah, he took a six for, I think, six six wickets. I can't take that seriously. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, no, the the competition's at a different level, but it's still important to look at those because South Africa, they have Dean Elgar, Faftu Pussy, who've been scoring pretty high. It is Sri Lanka, but it's still competition that India is. It's Sri Lanka with half the squad injured. I think Sri Lanka at their their full strength is a pretty solid team. Yeah, exactly. Right, they they came in missing Angelo Matthews and and I think one other player who I'm forgetting right now, and then they injured three other players in the first test. Yeah. Um, so they're in a world of of hurt right now. Um, in fact, yeah, and it's only because South Africa has been on a downfall the last couple of years that this series isn't even worse than it could be. Like, if this was South Africa three years ago and Sri Lanka came with this team, oh my God, that could just destroy yeah. the team mentally. Because uh, yeah. I mean. But it, but it's nice to see some of the like South Africa actually doing fairly decent or faring well at least, and we may be seeing other nations coming up in future future years, which will be nice to have more competition. Yeah, I I, I do think that um, for South Africa, the fact that they now look, look to have a little bit more depth in their pace bowling, the fact that they have, I mean, they've had a reliable spinner for a while. Uh, Kishan Maharaj has been understated, but has done the job for quite a while. Um, I really think Rassi Vanderdussen has added a lot to their batting. Um, very, very talented player. I'm really excited to see what happens uh, in his career. And then it, it's a strong top order. Um, Aiden Markham is a very good player, but I just 
and I think he'll always do well in the Cena countries. He just he just has real struggles against spin, but he'll always do well in South Africa, Australia, these type of countries. I think give you a solid opener considering that these days because of how dominant pace attacks are right now. Um, uh, so this is something new. I don't know full details of how this stuff works, to be honest, but because 2021 officially, I think Brexit has finally been confirmed. So all the Colpac deals are done now. So the South African players who, who have signed up and played county cricket are now available for selection. Oh. Wait, so, does this include like like the last couple of years of Colpacks? Like yes. So Simon Harmer, Kyle oh. Abbott. I would have Dwayne Olivier. Dwayne Olivier. I would not count Vernon Flander Morning Miracle. They had proper test careers, so I don't think they're yeah. gonna be returning. They were anyways oh at retirement, but wow, if they get Simon Harmer yeah. back, that is Riley Rousseau. Rousseau. Um I'm trying to think of other players who have gotten a cold pack. It's a lot of fast bowlers though. It's mainly fast bowlers, Simon Harmer. Uh, not Dane Piedet. He's playing USA cricket now, so stay on tune for that. Um mm. Now, getting Simon Harmer back would be a, a huge, huge deal for them. Harmer's been well, one of the most consistent performers in county cricket for the last couple of years. Well, the thing is, does this, this cricket of South Africa board want to take these players back? I don't know. As the talks have not started yet. It's just, I just read that these guys are not available for selection. But these players, obviously, they can continue playing county cricket, but they'll be overseas players, which which is a lot more difficult to confirm their own spots in their county sides. But Obviously, if South Africa can bring a lot, a lot of these players have left a very strong South African team, and a lot of them would make the first South Africa team, not including, not, but not that is assuming no transformation. Obviously, all of these players are have taken Colpet because they don't fit in the transformation side of things. So obviously, they're not going to just be helping on that that in on that side of the coin. But yeah, do you guys think? Can you see a dominant South Africa coming back if if let's assume these players can are allowed to? These are available for selection properly and are willing to play for South Africa. I mean, I, I worry about definitely because the bowling attack is bowling attack is there That's with the Rabada, Norkia, and Maharaj being the mainstays. Yeah, and batting lineup, <laughs> we, we'd all like to see see De Villiers back, but um, probably won't happen. De Villiers, uh, see, we can't count on De Villiers, but I'm talking about players like Riley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just the incoming players and having more options for selections itself will open up. The possibilities for South Africa to become just an overall better team. Yeah. I, I worry about the the window possibly being short. I think you project out two years, um, and Faf has almost certainly retired. Elgar maybe, um, and then suddenly the batting looks a lot worse off than it is right now. And Quinton Nakak has to carry even more of the burden than he already is now as captain and wicketkeeper. Well, I'm hopefully in two years. The Aiden Markram is leading that batting attack. I can't and Rusty Vanderson. They those two are the probably the two most talented batsmen in that top six right now in the South African team, outside of the mainstays. And it'll be up to them to really carry them. Yeah, the there's there's team. a lot there's a lot riding on Rusty for the future of South African cricket. I think, but no pressure. I see Rusty as a future captain too, and obviously Decock is a temporary captain right now. He doesn't have the most difficult series right now to handle, so. It's, a, it's not too much of a burden, but yeah, I definitely see Rossi Venderson being a possible captaincy option too. Bavuma, yeah. Bavuma obviously will be. And I think Bavuma, but one of the biggest problems that Bavuma has been is lack of converting 50s into 100s. He only has one test injury in five years. I don't know if you guys saw, but he walked on 70 last game. He didn't even nick the ball. That was ridiculous. Mm. I'm not laughing, yeah. but yeah. yeah. Can't throw away test. I think I think South Africa's savior is going to be their T20 cricket because, especially in the upcoming World Cup, um, a lot of their players did well in the IPL yeah, this past IPL. So I think they have a good shot at the T20. Surprisingly, after the last World Cup, the ODI World Cup, they they were bottom of the table, but uh, they'll have a better shot in T20. I they think. had a lot of promising ODI players that in the before quarantine hit, they beat Australia three zero. There were a few promising players like um, ja- I don't remember their names to be honest. Milan, there was a Peter Milan. There was like a mm-hmm. Joe Mason. There was a spinner. There was a new spinner they had, left arm spinner. All uh, George the- Linda. George Linda. Yeah, these guys are putting interesting oh, performances. Yeah. And honestly, I think all of us want every the world world wants a good South African cricket team. They were yep. such a dominant part, I think, of all of our childhoods. They were probably the number one test side when we as we grew up watching cricket. So oh, man, Graham Smith, 
Jack Ellis, Sean Pollock. Yeah. Even the team three years ago, the team that basically like ruined Australian cricket for a while, that team yeah. was extremely good. And they had the best bowling attack. Not, I don't even think Australia's current bowling attack came close to that bowling attack. But yeah, uh, I think we all want a good South African cricket. We all want a good Sri Lankan team too. We're, we're talking Stain and Morkle at the height of their primes, right? Yeah, Stain, Morkle, Flander. And Nikki uh, come in and yeah, that was an insanely good bowling attack. Yeah, yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, just covered the India-Australia test match. Briefly talked about the South Africa, or we, we went over New Zealand-Pakistan. Um, but yeah, well, I think our next podcast will probably be after the third test match, um, India-Australia. That's going to be a fun one. Have they decided the venue for it yet? Or Third test is going to be at Sydney. That... The fourth test is the, is the one under doubts right now, but third test is fine. The fourth one, they're between Sydney yeah. and Brisbane is what it sounds like. Yeah, Brisbane. It'll be between yeah. us. That, but that doesn't have to do with Corona. I think it's just about India's strict, India's objecting to the strict quarantine rules. I see. Yeah. Let's let's not yeah. go into that. That's, that's all over the place. Yeah, not really sure what. Not really a fans' problem right now. We'll have we'll have yeah. more information on that next time. Yep. Yep. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed. Thanks, the nation, Rishi, and um, yeah. Cool. See you guys Thanks soon. for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, bye.